You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. We're talking to Steve Byrne about the Freep Film Festival 2017. Now, Steve, how long has the festival been going on? Um, hard to believe, but this is actually going to be our fourth edition this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to me thinking about it because I, I go back to, you know, now five, five and a half years ago, and we were bouncing around the idea at the Free Press of doing it, and that doesn't feel very long ago at all. And at that time, it was very much in doubt whether we would or wouldn't. It's crazy to me to think about those conversations being now pretty long time ago that this thing has really kind of come to fruition in in the way that we envisioned it. Now, Free Film Festival, for folks that don't know, boy, that's a lot of Fs in that sentence. Uh, just, <laughs> just so people can kind of get their hands wrapped around this, mostly dealing, if not exclusively dealing, with documentary films. That is correct. Um, we definitely consider ourselves a documentary-focused festival. We've made a couple of exceptions over our four years for um, narratives that were really super strongly connected to Detroit and we thought had something to say. But this year we have one extended, what I, I guess I call it an extended link short that's kind of a docudrama, um, but we don't have any pure fictional films at all. Everything else is docs. Documentary has definitely seen a re renaissance over the last, gosh, almost 20 years now, it seems like. And really, part of that, I would say, would go back to one of our uh, hometown boys, Michael Moore, with Roger and me. It seems like, to me at least, that seemed like popularized documentaries. And then since then, it just has been off the hook. Obviously, I think Michael, um, what he did was show that there's commercial potential in documentaries, which was a genre, I think, maybe preceding that generally would be thought of. It's educational, if not boring. It's box office poison. And he showed that you could create something that was grounded in truth and be entertaining at the same time. So I think probably all doc filmmakers owe a lot to him for that. It's crazy. If you think about it, in Michigan, you ask the average Joe, I would think, or average Jane, who's the most well-known documentary filmmaker, they would probably either say Michael Moore or they would say Ken Burns. And both of them are from our state. We haven't had any direct connections with either of those guys with our festival, but um, it is one other little night I don't know, an asterisk is the right word, but a nice thing to think about that we have an all-doc festival in the state of Michigan in a state that um, has made great, great contributions to the forum. Well, tell me about some of this year's picks. I'm very curious about the opening night film, um, 12th and Claremont. The middle of last year, the Free Press teamed up with the Detroit Institute of Arts and several other cultural organizations around town, including the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, the Detroit Historical Museum, to ask Detroiters to share their home movie footage with us circa 1967. For Listeners who don't know, in 1967, Detroit had a very bad riot, rebellion, uprising, whatever word you want to attach to it. Around 40 people died, more than 1,000 were injured, tons and tons of property damage. And it's it's one of those scars, I think, in the city and in the area that, that still remains not entirely healed. 
So this summer will be the 50th anniversary of that. And a lot of people are reflecting back on that time. So we put the call out for the home movie footage and um, we got a really great response. I think at last count, there had been more than 500, maybe it was just short of 500 reels donated to the project as a whole. So the DIA is doing one thing with that footage and the free press is doing something slightly different. The DIA has been doing screenings about every other week now where they just show raw footage. You, it's, uh, you go out to the DIA, they might put together about an hour's worth of programming and, and kind of like if you're familiar with Rick, what Rick Prellinger does, people just get to see these old eight millimeter or 16 millimeter films, um, mostly eight millimeter super eight, I should say. And that's one way to see it. What we did was we selected and kind of curated and Brian Kaufman, who is kind of the chief videographer at the free press and has made several feature length films for us, um, has put together a reflection and look back on the events of 1967, largely, but not only using this donated footage. So beyond it being a really uh, interesting and I think important topic for us to dig into, what people are going to see, the vast majority of this footage has never been seen publicly because it's been living in people's basements and attics, you know, and, and so, in some cases we were helping them show because we, we made digital, helped people make digital transfers of this footage. Um, even the people who owned it hadn't seen it in a long time. time. So if there's something I'm really excited about is to like get this stuff out there. Looking back on that time, I think it's important for something to try to do. And I think um, this movie is going to do it in a way that like really nobody has ever seen before. So there's my pump up about it. Yeah, it's fascinating. There's always that kind of um, the coincidence as far as the documentary about something and then the fictional version of it like there was man on wire and then there was the uh the the fictionalized version with joseph gordon levitt and i know with this we've got 12th and claremont the documentary and then i imagine probably by the end of the year we're going to see Catherine bigelow's fictionalized version of what happened in detroit in 1967 because she was here just shooting uh, part of that recently Yep. That team, you know, Catherine and her longtime screenwriting partner, Mark Bowl, um, who, of course, won Oscars for The Hurt Locker, um, are taking on, from what we understand and reported at the Free Press, one element of that weekend, what is often referred to as the Algiers Hotel incident, in which uh, several people were killed in a shootout with uh, police. Um, there, there ultimately was a trial in which several policemen were acquitted, but I think you could probably say a very racially charged incident and it's still looked at it that way. And so they shot part of that movie in Detroit. And I think most of it was shot in the Boston area, Boston suburbs, if I remember correctly. And like you were very interested to see what they come up with. And I would figure too, I mean, they're trying to do it in the anniversary year that we'll see it before the end of the year. Certainly something we're keeping tabs on. Probably one of our other most anticipated films, I guess, for lack of a better word, is a is a documentary about a guy named and who in Detroit is known as White Boy Rick in the 80s teenager who was basically caught up in some fairly big time drug dealing ended up going to prison, remains in prison to this day. And it's a controversial case because people question one, um, just how big of a drug dealer was this guy and how much of it was a kind of a media created image that surrounded him. And two, why is he still in prison, you know, more than 30 years later? So we're going to have the world premiere of that documentary at the festival. They are just starting a fictionalized or document drama style version of his life story that's uh, people have probably heard Matthew McConaughey is is starring playing his dad. I don't know when that movie is going to be finished, but I know it's uh, starting filming this month. 
And now that is called White Boy, and that is premiering on the 31st of March. Now, you are running the whole weekend of March 30th is the premiere of uh, 12th and Claremont, and then 31, 1st, and 2nd, you're going to have films pretty much, it it seems almost like back-to-back going on here. And where are the films showing this year? You know, we're centered in, you know, kind of the downtown and midtown Detroit area. I would call our key venues are the Detroit Film Theater at the Detroit Institute of Arts. There's also a second screening room at the DIA, which is, of course, Detroit's famed art museum, a smaller kind of indie theater just a few blocks away called Cinema Detroit. We're also screening some films at the Detroit Historical Museum, have one screening over at Third Man Records, which is people probably know is the kind of record and retail shop and vinyl pressing site um, owned by owned and run by Jack White of the White Stripes. And then we will be at two suburban theaters this year, the Imagine Royal Oak and the Imagine Novi. The opening night of 12th and Claremont and also our pre-party the night before, which features Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes is at the Fillmore Detroit. Was it just last year that Kevin Smith was in town uh, during the premiere? Last year, we asked Kevin, and at that time he came with his podcasting partner, Mark Bernadine, for a very specific reason. It happened that Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was opening the weekend before our festival. And we're like, you know, obviously Kevin's a massive comic book person. And so that year we kind of pitched to him and said, you know, we know you're going to be talking this movie up big time on your podcast. What if you recorded live in Detroit? And so he bought, he bid on that idea. And so that's how it came about last year. This year, it was the the connection, I guess, and this is the reason we're doing it as a pre-party, kind of just having some fun and letting them come do their thing. There is not a super logical connection. You know, his management, the people at the Fillmore and us all felt last year went well when they broached the idea with us, like, well, what if we did this again this year in a little different way? We were like, yeah, let's do it again. It was a lot of fun and definitely provides a contrast with our true opening night, which this year, you know, I, I would... You know, the 12th and Claremont, it's it's a somber kind of deep movie. Um, we'll have a very different feel over, I have, I'm guessing, with Kevin and Jason the night before. Give people a chance to yuck it up a bit. One thing that seems like a theme this year is architecture. I'm seeing at least two feature documentaries that are centered in on architecture. Yeah, so one of them would be Eros Saarinen, the architect who saw the future. You know, I may not have mentioned at the beginning one of the big focuses of our festival is, you know, films that have really strong connections to Michigan or Detroit. And Errol Saarinen, of course, a guy who has who designed some of the most well-known pieces and buildings in the United States, including the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. And he also did the General Motors Tech Center in Warren, which is here in our area. He's a guy who spent the vast majority of his life at Cranbrook, the Academy, Cranbrook Academy of Art in Blue Bill Hills, a Detroit suburb. So that that's beyond this being a very interesting movie about a really important and influential character. That's, that's a movie we pulled in because it had very strong Detroit ties. And I'm assuming when you refer to the other one, you're talking about Citizen Jane, which is a movie that does not have strong Detroit ties. It's about a woman who kind of a self-taught architecture critic and kind of champion of I guess I would say urban city life. Her name is Jane Jacobs. She fought some really big battles in New York in the 60s and 70s, kind of taking on which way was the city, which way were city planners attempting to take NYC? We feel like this movie has a lot of resonance in Detroit because 
some of those battles are playing out now, particularly, you know, you see you have big builders who are taking great stake in the downtown people like, you know, bedrock, those sorts of conversations about like when you are rebuilding a city. And I think a lot of people think Detroit is being rebuilt as we speak, um, which direction do you go? So Jane Jacobs, her teachings have gone on to be extremely influential. In fact, we have some big city projects that are happening in Detroit right now, even aside from the movie have come out and said, you know, we're kind of trying to follow the template of urban life that she laid out 40 years ago. So this is really a movie that's about her life and how she influenced New York City. Now, you talked about Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith coming in. Who else is coming in for the festival? Yeah, we definitely at Free Film Festival really attempt to try to attach additions to our screenings. It's not just see a film. A lot of times we create conversations. In many cases, we bring in guests, whether it's directors or people involved in the film. One that jumps to mind, um, we're showing a film on Saturday night and then also repeats on Sunday, if I believe, called Strike a Pose. It is about the dancers who were featured really prominently in Madonna's Truth or Dare documentary and, you know, also were her dancers, I believe, on the Blonde Ambition Tour and at least one other one. And this is kind of a behind-the-scenes story of life with Madonna. She's not, um, except in archival footage, she's not speaking, but all these, I think there's seven key dancers, and um, one of them is going to be in town for the screening. His name is Jose Gutierrez. He also goes by Jose Gutierrez extravaganza professionally. Um, and so he's going to be in town for the Q&A after the films. And on the Saturday night screening, which is at the DIA, he's actually going to perform. And then on Sunday, and this would be one of those lectures I mentioned, where he's actually going to do a voguing workshop for us. So it's a relatively small class. I think it's open to 30 or 35 people. It's going to be held over at the Bull YMCA downtown. So if you're really into Madonna and you dance, um, here's a chance to, to learn some moves from one of the guys who, uh, who invented him for back in, back in the 80s. We mentioned Errol Saren, and his son is the director of photography on the film. His story is interwoven a little bit. So it's not a pure straight bio on Arrow. It talks a little bit about the family life and how that sprung forward. And so his son, who's the DP, his name is Peter. He is going to be in town appearing after both our screenings of that film. A guy by the name of Nate Adams, who in the podcasting world, you guys might be familiar because he's kind of the uh, one of Adam Carolla's main cohorts. So Nate is the co-director with Adam of a movie called The 24-Hour War. And this is about, in the 60s, Ford and Ferrari were engaged in this tremendous battle, um, kind of who had the fastest cars in the world, who had the highest, the best high-performance vehicles. And that kind of played out at the uh, kind of legendary long endurance race at Le Mans. So the 24-hour war talks about that battle. And Nate, who does a lot of things with Adam, but he's the co-director of the film, he'll be in town. So those are probably a couple of the more prominent ones that immediately jump to mind. Several other directors are coming in as well, and in, in a couple of cases, um, subjects. All of that information will be up at the website, by the way. We've announced our lineup. We have not al announced all of our panels. By the time you listen to this, they'll be up, I should say. They're not up this moment. You mentioned uh, music, and of course, music and Detroit really go together like peas and carrots. You've got a couple documentaries about blues men, but I have to say the one that really strikes my fancy is the one about Sly from Sly and the Family Stone. You know, I 
should have mentioned that um, the director of Sly and the Family Stone is going to be in town um, as well. That's a really cool look. That film, it's kind of a rock doc in some ways. You know, it has some of that, you know, VH1 behind the music thing of the the rise, the fall, the rise of, you know, the legendary kind of R&B funk band, Sly and the Family Stone. But it's particularly interested in, you know, what is Sly doing now? Because he's kind of uh, he's kind of put himself underground in recent years. So the super fan, Michael Rubenstone, he is a U of M graduate, which is one of the reasons we were first alerted to the film. He spends the better part of a decade trying to track Sly down. I don't want to give too much away about kind of where the movie ends up, but so you, as you, as a viewer, we learn a lot about the history of the band and their import as he's trying to buff up and also track him down. And so the end of the movie, which I'm not going to say, takes us on this long journey of trying to see can Michael find Sly. And I'll just leave it at that. Well, it sounds like it's almost, and I, I haven't seen the film, so I don't know where it goes with it, but just the premise alone almost sounds like a Searching for Sugar Man. It does have some elements of search, Searching for Sugar Man, but I would say it deviates in several ways from that. One is that I would say Michael is very much a prime character in the story, and I think the way that the surprises and the revelations that happen in Sugar Man are very different than the surprises and revelations in this movie. We have such a, a wonderfully diverse population here in Detroit, so of course we uh, are focusing in. Uh, the festival has some very strong ties to the African-American communities, so things like Tell Them We Are Rising, the story of historically black colleges and universities plays right into that. And then the large Arab American population that we have seems like they would be, and I know I'm interested in the film, Tickling Giants. I don't like to pick favorites or anything when you're talking about an entire lineup, but I do think Tickling Giants would be one of the best kind of crowd-pleasing movies that we have, while it also has some super serious things to say. Um, this is the tale of a guy who, Bassem Youssef, in Egypt, in the midst of the um, kind of the Arab Spring that was going on there, quits his job as a heart surgeon to put on a daily show style show that he's just posting on YouTube with one of his friends. Basically he wants to use humor and kind of incisive journalism to take a look at what's happening with the leadership in Egypt. And it takes off like instantly on YouTube where they're almost, I think after a couple episodes, they're already racking up millions of views. So they're quickly bought up by you know, one of Egypt's uh, t TV networks and they do not hold back on any of their criticism or any of their humor. And um, you learn pretty quickly that that doesn't always go over so well there. So not only is Bassem Yusuf hilarious and incredibly smart and very charismatic and a, and a really fun guy to spend an hour and 45 minutes with, you also get this tale that wraps in the Arab Spring, that wraps in journalism, that wraps in the idea of using humor to speak to power. And that's what Tickling Giants refers to. Can't recommend this movie enough. And we're going to be showing it twice. Really, it's both funny and heartbreaking and will make you mad at times. If you care about journalism and you care about humor, I could say I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And you do have uh, several programs of shorts and one that uh, I, I think you said you consider a little bit longer than a short. Can you tell me about American Prophet, the uh, Jasmine Rivera film? 
Yeah, Jasmine Rivera is a Metro Detroit filmmaker, and this is a movie about a fairly well-known religious leader in Detroit, a guy by the name of uh, Bishop Thomas Gumbleton, who I want to say it's her movie and his career both start in the late 60s, kind of in the wake of the Detroit riot that we were talking about earlier. And Bishop Gumbleton is kind of a, well, he wasn't Bishop Gumbleton then, he was an up-and-coming young priest, and that's what this movie deals with. He was kind of a rough-and-tumble character on certain levels. Um, I believe he rode a motorcycle. He played hockey, um, was known to cuss a little bit. And he gets thrust, based on both his intelligence and I think his charisma, into a leadership position very young. So he becomes, I don't know if he's the youngest bishop in U.S. history. Forgive me because I don't remember the exacts of that element. But gets thrown into a leadership role in Detroit very tempestuous time, very young. And that's what this movie is about his life. And so it's basically all a true story. It's just done in a fictionalized way with actors. Most of these movies that uh, you have uh, seem to be in English primarily, but there is a subtitle film called tomorrow. What's the Michigan connection with that one? Tomorrow, which was originally released in France under the title Demain, is a movie about a French actress and a couple of her filmmaking friends who get frustrated with the idea that there seems to be both a lot of negative things happening in the world and the way that we rarely see solutions in the media, we see problems. And they say, let's run around the world, look at way people are trying to improve environment, improve education, improve the general living standard in poorer countries and what sorts of solutions are working. That makes it sound more boring than it is, I think. Um, And so they basically go out and meet people who have good ideas. And that is the Detroit connection. They have a probably 10 or 15 minute chapter on urban farming, and they use Detroit as the example. So for those that don't know, Detroit has had a very big uh, boom in urban farming, probably going back about five years now. And they talk to some of the people who've started the farms. They've talked to people who work on the farms. And then they kind of gallivant around all around the world. They end up in Germany. They end up in London at some point. And um, this movie is basically kind of a, on a certain level, it's kind of a feel-good thing because they are out there talking to people who are doing positive things and they're showing a light on them. Yeah, there's one movie that uh, I see on the schedule that looks like it is right out of the headlines, right out of you know today's news story from uh, NPR, which is Making Waves, Battle for the Great Lakes. Yeah, that one really couldn't be more timely in many ways. For those that don't know, the Great Lakes have fought a lot of, there have been a lot of problems in the Great Lakes going back probably 20 years now with invasive species. People may have heard about the Asian carp, for instance. There's a lot of fear that this this fish, which can do a lot of damage to both um, the lower end of the food chain and the higher end of the food chain, taking away space for like fish that is harvested for food or harvested by sports fishermen. So this movie is looking at all the invasive species that have been flying into the Great Lakes and attempts to try to stop that. This has become in the news both because I think there's a lot of fear that Asian carp are about to make it into Lake Michigan if they haven't already, but also because I believe the Trump administration is looking at cutting back funding that would help keep the Asian carp out. So um, that's a legislative battle that may be literally playing out as, you know, as you as you and I speak or at some point this week, how much funding is going to be taking away from the Great Lakes. So these two filmmakers, they're from Chicago. The 
The movie is narrated by Bill Curtis, who probably a lot of people know as a longtime Chicago newsman. He also does the emceeing on the popular NPR show, uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He does a really good job with it. And these people get underwater. You see, you know, you see eels, you see Asian carp, you see goby, you see zebra mussels, and you see the scientists who are trying to stop them from basically running roughshod. And the other thing that is still in the news, even though uh, it kind of goes away and then it comes back and it still is a major, major issue, is the Flint water crisis. And I see you have a whole program of shorts dedicated to that. A Michigan State University student was a recipient of a student academy award for a movie she made about Flint. And it hasn't shown in Metro Detroit yet, as far as we know, Um it was announced, uh, her award was announced a couple of months ago, so that'll be the first time that's here. Um, there is a about 18-minute short made by the Free Press. Again, Brian Kaufman, the person who did 12th and Claremont, um, was spending a fair amount of time up in Flint more about a year ago, and that's where that film came out of. And then there is a, a series of shorts, I think there's three of them within the whole program, that come from this multimedia project called Flint is a Place, Um, I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with a doc that came out two years ago called T-Rex, done by a director named Zachary Canapari. He basically was not from Flint. Um, That movie was about Clarissa Shields, the uh, U.S. uh, gold medal winning boxer, um, the first uh, female U.S. Um, the first female U.S. boxer to win a gold, and then she she repeated four years later. So anyways, while Zach was out there, he really became connected to Flint and started covering the water crisis and also covering, you know, general Flint life. They came up with this massive thing. There's some virtual reality. There's still photos. There's text. There's about five shorts, I think, three of which we'll be showing. And that multimedia exhibit, um, we're going to be showing we're going to have part of it installed over at the DIA. So you not only could come to this Flint shorts program, you could go up and experience some of the VR stuff, see the still photography, do some reading and um, really immerse yourself in the Flint story. We've been talking for about a half an hour. I've barely even scratched the surface when it comes to just all of the films and all the varied uh, films that you have really haven't talked about the events other than the Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes thing. So I don't want to sit here and say like, okay, now this film, now this film, now this film. Tell me some of your favorite films that we haven't mentioned. One that immediately jumps to mind is one called The Force. And that is a kind of cinema verite style look at the police and community relations in Oakland, California a really, really awesome documentary filmmaker named Peter Nix. If you haven't seen any of his stuff, he he has previous movies as well. I I recommend them highly. He's right now, I think he's kind of calling it a series of three films where he's looking at various institutions in Oakland. His most recent one was set in a hospital. The Force was released earlier this year, debuted at Sundance. So we're excited that we're having a film that just left Sundance very successfully. Peter won um, the best U.S. director at the 2017 Fest. And so this movie in a very kind of nuanced and I would say even non-judgmental way put you in the life of the cops, also put you in the life of the community members who are interacting with the police and gives you a sense of, I mean, there are times when you're like, why are the police doing this? There are times when you are saying, why are the people doing this? And one of the key through lines is that there is this young new police chief in Oakland who is getting a lot of credit for improving 
the community relations there. Oakland has a very long history of, of troubled police community relations. And you're kind of rooting for this police chief. And then the movie takes a big turn. Um, again, I probably not, don't want to reveal too much, but this is just, it's, it's a really interesting watch, entertaining, maybe not the perfect word, but you really come away with a sense of like, okay, it gives you a better understanding of events like Ferguson because you're so entrenched and it's not the type of film that that preaches at you at all. It just lays a bunch of super compelling material in front of you. And then you walk away and you start wrestling with it in your own mind. How would you have reacted here? What did this mean? I don't think he's really trying to make a point so much as trying to help you understand. And I, I personally love films that are done that done that way. So the force is one that I would throw out, throw out at you when you ask me one of my favorites, you know, a couple that we've already touched on that I would throw in there. I think Strike a Pose and Tickling Giants are both very entertaining films that I would recommend that anyone would go to. You referenced earlier that we had a couple movies related to the blues, which is true. One um, that the one that's playing at Third Man Records is called Two Trains Running. And the Two Trains Running kind of refers to in the late 60s, you know, obviously there was a lot of stuff going on down south and particularly in Mississippi with the civil rights movement. Simultaneously with that, there were um, a, there was a lot of efforts to kind of unreveal and dig, dig up America's history with the blues. A lot of the great, great blues players, including one who's featured prominently in the Sun House, had kind of been lost to history at that moment. So it looks at the two trains, one is the civil rights movement, one is the attempt to di to find and kind of raise up some of these blues greats who have pretty much, you know, some of them just completely retired. Um, this movie is really compellingly put together. It has some great music. If anyone's familiar with Gary Clark, who's a, who's a contemporary blues player, provides a soundtrack. It's narrated by the rapper Common and just tells a very, very great historical story that still feels very of the moment to me. Well, by the time this podcast goes up, we're going to have all of the schedule information you talked about, having the events that are kind of uh, along with the films listed and everything. Where can folks go to find out that information and maybe even buy tickets? Freakfilmfestival.com is the clearinghouse for all of that. So you'll be able to see full schedule. You'll be able to see synopsises of the films. You'll be able to see trailers of the vast majority of them, and we'll have all that information, the extra stuff, you know, whether it's a dance party or a music performance or just a panel conversation that is driven out of the movie, will all be at freefilmfestival.com. The Free Press, which is the parent ship, um, will also at freep.com have a lot of info. We'll also have a full festival guide appearing in the Sunday print edition on March 26th, which is the Sunday before the festival starts. And uh, follow our social media as well, if you'd like. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and uh, we'll be having all sorts of fun updates, both uh, prior to the festival and during it. Steve Byrne, thank you so much for your time tonight. Mike, I really appreciate you giving us some support over the years. Can't say enough about your podcast. I love listening to it, and um, really appreciate you having me on.